sense about What a week we've had. Yes. Powerful revival meeting. Brother Hanks obeying God. God giving the increase around the altars. And, uh, this morning, a great message. And, uh, thank God for the space of grace that He has given unto us. And, uh, you know, if we miss out on heaven, we miss it out on the rapture. It's not God's fault. Amen is ours. He's given every man a space. Amen. A, a grace, a space to repent. You know, the Bible says that uh, he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And I am thankful for that space that he's given us. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Amen. And I am thankful. For that goodness. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'm going to turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter number 11. This is where we will be reading from. On a Wednesday night, I guess it's been uh, several months ago now, uh, we preach from these verses of Scripture along these lines. And I'll, uh, I'll never forget, I was in my office at work and trying to work through the day. And I knew that I was going to be preaching at Bible Way that night. And I still wasn't settled on what I was going to be preaching, but uh, just meditating on the Lord and um, on, on His Word and, and praying as I could throughout the day. And the Lord began talking and led us to these passages of Scripture. And we preached that Wednesday night. And, uh, but since then, it's... Uh, it's kind of like the Lord just opened my eyes to more things in this text that I had not seen. And as we preached out, the Lord just added to it. And uh, I want to come back and preach in totality, whereas that night I preached in part of what the Lord has showed us from these passages of Scripture. I feel like there's a message for the church here, not just Bible way, but for the church of the living God. And uh, I, I want to see the church be all that she can be in this hour. We are living in dark and in perilous times. But what a great opportunity for the church to be the church. And the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to shine through us. And if we'll do our part in this hour, I believe that he'll do his. And he'll do great and marvelous things through us. Amen. Mark chapter number 11. We're going to begin our reading with verse number 1. Tonight, and we'll read down through verse number 10. Mark 11, begin our reading with verse number 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. And he saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied. Whereon never a man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, Why? What do ye loosen the colt? And they said unto them, 
even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strode them in the way. And they went before and they followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Bible says in, in verse number four, call your attention back to that verse. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. I want to preach if the, the Lord will help us on this thought tonight, the colt and the church. The colt and the church. If you will, stretch forth your hands this way and ask God to help us in an honest tonight. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the privilege that we have once again to come into your house to worship. To magnify, to adore your name. Father, we thank you for your spirit that we've already been made to feel. I'm asking now as the light has fallen for the preaching of the word of God. Father, that you would anoint us. Lord, with a holy anointing, that you'd take a call off of the brazen altar. I'd put it to our lips tonight and anoint us to do the work and the will of God. Father, I pray that you would anoint the, the preaching of the word. You would anoint the hearing of the word. But God, most of all, as we open up these altars tonight to pray, that you would sanction this as a holy, hallowed moment. And God, you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives that only you can do to conform us to the will, to the nature, to the image of Christ Jesus. Father, do the work now that only you can do. Father, I pray that you would loose us in this hour to do the work in the will of God. Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name that we pray it. And the church says amen. And amen. As we read this story in our text, as you study out the Gospels, we know that uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all written with different purposes, with different audiences, with different themes in mind as they were writing the Holy Scripture, but the, as the, the Holy Ghost inspired them, they had different meanings. They had different purposes, rather, for writing uh, the, the words that they wrote. But And it's very rare that you will find uh, a story that is mentioned in all four Gospels. Uh, I believe that there's only a handful, about five or six stories, that is recorded in all four Gospels. And this is one of those stories. This is a story of the, the triumphant entry when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for the very last time. And in this story, the Bible is very clear that the central character is Jesus. Without Jesus, there would have been no triumphant entry. Without Jesus, there would have been no reason for this text to, for, uh, for, for being. There would be no reason for it to be captured in the gospel story. So we know that Jesus was the major character and the major contributor in our text. But there was also a major contribution played by a very insignificant character. By a very uh, insignificant uh, being that was there, but it was the use of the cult that made this story uh, a, a phenomenal thing. And, and I want us to look 
uh, at this story from the Colts' point of view tonight. And I want us to look and, and parallel the, the purpose of this cult, which was a young donkey to a type of the church. And as I look at you tonight, I'm not calling you a bunch of donkeys. Let's just establish that fact and get that out of the way right now. Amen. I'm not calling the church a bunch of donkeys. But I do believe that there are some things in this story that this cult did and some uh, characteristics and traits of the cult that you and I, as the church of the living God, we should have in us an operation in our lives. The first thing that I want us to notice about this cult is it was just a, a young donkey. It was just a, uh, a young cult when we read about it in our text. But donkeys have long been referred to as a beast of burden. In biblical days, donkeys were not used very much for riding, as much as you would think. But they were often laden down with loads. They were loaded down with goods and were used to, to transport things that humans couldn't. And historical evidence goes back that for some 4,000 years, these animals have been transporting goods in and throughout the Middle and the Far East. Many loads that would cause humans to crumble under the sheer weight and the magnitude of, of uh, the burden could be carried by these animals with relative ease. And so they carried the title, <coughs> excuse me, as the beast of burdens. As a church, you and I are called to bear one another's burdens. As the church of the living God, we can carry burdens together that would cause one individual to crumble. To what would be too much for me to carry on my own and the weight that would be too much for, for me to bear upon my shoulders alone. I know that I have brothers and sisters in the Lord that I can go to and I can share my heart with them and say that this is too much for me. I need you to join in the yoke with me and help me carry this burden and carry this load unto the Lord. Amen. We as a church, we should bear one another's burdens. This Galatians 6 verse 2 that says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 5 and 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, we read that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, and they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cold is not quickly broken. Amen. In all of these scriptures, there's a common theme and a common thread that runs through all three of those texts. And that is the fact that the church of the living God is called to bear one another's burdens. Amen. And so fulfilling the law of Christ. We're called to carry the burden of each other in the body of Christ. That's why the church of the living God is so important. The, the talk last year when they were uh, closing down non-essential entities due to COVID. The, the church was debated. Is the church essential or not? And the government told us what they thought of the church. 
labeling it non-essential. Tried to shut us down and lock the doors and, and, uh, and disperse the body of Christ. But you hear me, the church of the living God is very essential. Listen, uh, people may say the, make the statement all the time, I don't have to go to church to be saved. And you're right. You can call upon the name of the Lord uh, wherever you're at uh, and you can be saved. But if you are born again, uh, you need to plug into the church, the body of the living God, because there's going to be times that you can't carry your burden alone. Say amen to me, somebody. You're going to face things uh, that you can't face by yourself. And if you do, you're going to struggle uh, and you're going to crumble under the load. Uh, amen. The church is essential. This is uh, a healing place. Uh, this is a place uh, where the Spirit of God abides. Uh, and when you're down, uh, you can come in and carry your needs to the altar. Uh, and your brother and sisters and the Lord can lift you up uh, to the throne room of God. Uh, listen, I need the church. Uh, I don't just need the church. Uh, I have have to have the church as much as I need oxygen to breathe and food to eat I need a body of the Lord Jesus Christ that I can worship with that I can bear my soul with that I can gather with and worship with and see God move amen we are called just like this cult to bear one another's burdens we're called to carry the burden of each other in the body of Christ. Number two, we're called to lift up the burden of this world to Christ in prayer. Listen, if we don't get a burden and pray for our communities, our cities, our counties, our state, our nation, and our world, who is? If we don't get on our knees and carry the situation at hand to God in prayer, are you going to wait on the Muslim to pray to Muhammad and touch him for revival? You going to wait on the Catholics to get a hold of Mary and have her intercede on their behalf for revival? You going to wait on the Hindu or the, the Buddhist to pray to their God and send a revival to change Washington and the world? Listen, you might as well save your breath on that. Listen, we as a church, we've got to get a burden for the world. Amen. And carry it to the throne room of God. We as the church must be loose to carry the burdens of each other. But not only the burden of each other, but the burden of the world. Amen. To God in prayer. If there's going to be a revival to come, amen, in this present day, it's going to come through the church. If there's going to be a move of God that shakes Washington, D.C. and shakes the nations of the world, it's going to be because somebody, somebody a believer somewhere got a hold of God and pleading and travailing prayer and touched Him and He in turn poured out His Spirit upon Him. Listen, that's the only way revival has ever come in the past. And that's the only way that revival will ever come in the future, it's going to take God's people uh, getting His burden uh, and carrying the burden of the world to Him in prayer. Uh, that uh, is the methodology uh, for a move of God. Colt was a beast of burden. You and I must carry burdens to the Lord. Number two, I want us to notice that that colt was broken by Christ. Donkeys are known to be very Stubborn animals. They do what they want when they want to do it. They have their own schedule. They, you can have, have them in a field of cows. The 
The cows can be herded up doing their old thing and a donkey will be on the back 40 somewhere braying, having not a care in the world. Totally oblivious to everything that's going on around it. They do what they want when they want to. But one thing is true about that animal is that if you want that thing to ever be broken or, or tamed or to become docile or to ever be able to hop on his back and ride it if you want to, that animal has to be broken. If you lead it to its own devices and its own wheels, that thing will be just as wild as a Mustang. It's going to be a lot slower. <laughs> Amen. It's going to have its own pace about doing things. But you try to walk up and, and uh, try to pet an, an unbroke mule or donkey, you liable to be bit, kicked, whatever he wants to do. The nature of that thing has to be changed. The nature of that animal has to be broken. And in our text, when we read of this cult, the Bible is very clear that this animal had never been broken. The Bible tells us that in verse number 2, he said, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you have entered into it, you shall find the colt tied, whereon never a man hath sat, loosing and bringing. This man, had, this colt had never been through the Jerusalem boarding school and gotten broken. He didn't have a saddle on his back and reins in his mouth, bridles in his mouth. No, he was just tied up to a fence post somewhere. At no point had anyone broken this animal. And if you would try to hop on him and ride, the end result probably would not have been good. You would have hopped on his back. He would have gone one way and you would have gone the other. Probably bruised up, banged up with a, with a crushed pride and a crushed will. It's happened to me one time before. I was six years old, six, seven, something like that. We were at my cousin's house for a family reunion and, and this, was a, this was a young horse. And they had him in a corral and had him tied up to a fence post. And uh, my older cousins, they were always getting me into trouble. They said, Corey, why don't you hop on this thing and, and give it a ride? And I said, all right, I will. Looking back on it, if there's a horse with blinders on, tied up to a fence post, and everybody else is scared to go around it, it's probably not a good thing to try to jump on his back. Bareback, no saddle, <laughs> nothing, and hop on. Well, as soon as... The daredevil in me jumped over the rails, jumped on his back. They turned loose of the rope or untied the rope. Here he went bucking. I, I could do nothing but hang on and grab around to his neck. There wasn't a saddle. There was no reins. There was nothing. I just grabbed a hold of his neck. You know how strong those animals are. I, I got saved that day. Amen. Six years old. It didn't last very long, but I got real close to God praying. I was holding on for dear life. He busted out of the corral. Was going through the uh, going through the pasture. Finally, when I I found a place where I could jump off, that's exactly what I did. At six years old, I thought I was tough, but amen. Going to be a cowboy, but I was crying for mama real quick, like amen. Hurt, pride crushed. Amen. Why? Because you're trying to ride something that's unbroken. 
that's not been tamed. And this animal was the exact same thing. At no point had he ever been broken. But nevertheless, there was a command from Christ. You go and you find the colt. And when you find him, you bring him to me. There was just one thing there. He had never been broken. His will, his, his, uh, uh, his uh, nature had not been tamed. Nothing about this animal was broken. Never had a man ever sat on him. But when they brought him to Christ, the Bible says that that was the animal that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Nobody else could have done that but Jesus. Nobody else would have been able to accomplish that feast, uh, that feat uh, but the Lord. He was immediately able to hop on something that was unbroken, whose will uh, had not been uh, tamed, uh, and he was able to come and instantly uh, and immediately. Can I tell you something tonight, church, that Christ uh, is the only answer for stubborn wild men? Christ is the only one that can take the nature of a dirty, rotten sinner, amen, who's bound for hell itself, amen, change that man, tame his nature, change his nature, and bring about something that's bridled and meek, amen, and lowly. Only Christ can do that. Psychology can't do it. Psychiatry can't do it. Counseling can't do it. Amen, you can try to counsel something out of somebody all day long, and all you're going to have, honey, is a long bill and a high medication tab. Amen. But if you bring him to the altar and you give him to God, God can take that untamed, unbridled, unbroken will and bring about a masterpiece meat for the master's use. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can break a man. Only Christ can tame a man. That's the power of the gospel. You look at Moses. The Bible says that he was the meekest man in all of the earth. But you rewind his life 40 years before that statement was able to be made about Moses. 40, 60, 80 years. Moses got mad at how the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews. Anger, righteous anger rose up in him and with his bare hands he killed an Egyptian. We see the power and the strength that Moses had. But when he had his encounter with God, and God changed his nature and his will, Moses was not a weak man, but Moses was a meek man, which means to be tempered and that strength under control. I remember what Brother Eddie told the story one time of the horses of Alexander the Great, those Arabian stallions that were the finest stallions in all of the world. But it was said of those stallions that they were so meek and they were so tame and they were so broken that the generals of those cults, this is a cruel thing to do, but they would actually lead them over to the fire, uh, lead them over to a fire pit, uh, and the horse would stay there 
while the fire was roasting him from the outside in. And he would never flinch a muscle. And he would never try to buck. Why? Because he had been broken. He had been tamed. And he was meek. Amen. Strength under control is what that word meek means. And that's what Christ can do inside of the life of a believer. Oh, that's what Christ has done in us. Amen. We may have our times where we, like the cult, we tend to go rogue. And we try to do things our own way. That's what the prayer meeting is for. That's what the altar is for. When Christ can take our will, break our will, and change our desires to where we follow wholeheartedly after Him. That animal was broken by Christ. Number three, it was a bearer of Christ. In this story, the cult had one mission and one purpose. That purpose and mission was to carry Christ from point A to point B. That's all he was there for. He wasn't there to be celebrated. He wasn't there to be, to be decorated. As a matter of fact, without Jesus, that cult never would have been mentioned in Scripture. Without Jesus, that cult would have been no different than any other cult in that region of the world or throughout all of history. There was nothing special about his characteristics. He wasn't there for his looks. He wasn't there for his demeanor. He wasn't there for what he could add to Christ, but he was simply there. Amen. Because Christ had need of him. Can I tell you something, beloved? There's nothing good in any one of us. It matters not how smart we think we are, how good looking we think we are, or how much the world needs us. Without Christ, amen, there's nothing good in any of us. Without Christ, there's nothing different from us than the murderer on Skid Row tonight. Without Christ, there's no difference in us than the one that's shooting a needle in his arm at the crack house right now. Without Christ, amen, we're all hellbound sinners, amen, that's going to face eternity without Him, but by Christ. Hallelujah. We've all been changed. By Christ, we've all been transformed and made new by the power of the Spirit of God. I can't do that for myself. You couldn't do that for yourself, but thanks be unto God, there was a Savior. Amen. Some years ago, they came walking down and saw an unbridled, untamed colt and said, loose him. Amen. I've got a plan for him. I've got a purpose for him. His Life is never going to be the same again, but I'm going to use him to carry me throughout the world. The purpose of the cult was simply to carry Christ. The purpose for each and every one of us is the exact same nothing more, nothing less. If we think of ourselves as anything higher, than achieving that purpose of being messengers of Christ, then I can tell you pride's got into the equation somewhere. Amen. Amen. We have one purpose in life, folks. And that is to carry Christ with us wherever we go. Anything more in life is trivial and will pass away. The only thing that's going to stand the test of time is what you do in Christ. What we do in Christ 
The, the purpose of this cult was simply to get Jesus from point A to point B. Our purpose in life is to carry Him to the world. Mark 16 verse 1. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We could preach a while right there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the white folks. Ain't what he said. Preach the gospel to all the rich folks because they can tithe more. It's not what he said. Preach the gospel to all of the people that you like. It's not what he said. Preach the gospel to all of those that will boost the profile of the church. Not what he said. Preach the gospel to every creature. Hallelujah. No matter where they are. No matter their socioeconomic standing. No matter their pedigree or their ancestry. Every man needs this Christ. Amen. Every man, rich or poor, black or white, Chinese or Mexican. Amen. No matter where they are in life, how much money they have, amen, or how broke they are. Every man needs this Christ. And we as the church have the responsibility to carry Christ to the world. Amen. Everywhere we go, we should be messengers of this Christ. Whether it's to the schoolhouse, amen, or the, the, the Walmart. Amen. Whether it's to the restaurant, or to the corporate meeting. Everybody you rub elbows with is going to spend eternity somewhere. And Christ is looking for a cult that will simply carry Him. Amen. Unashamedly. Amen. Unafraid. But without reservation, willing to drop everything to carry Him to the world. That's the purpose of the church. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall shout a rug throughout all the church. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you and have a 10-week church growth seminar. Not what he said. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, you're to be a witness. Amen. You're to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Listen, the defining moment. I love this. The defining moment in that cult's life was when he carried Jesus. There was no other feat or accomplishment in that cult's life that brought him the same amount of clout, the same amount of joy, the same amount of satisfaction as he did the one day he got to carry Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The defining moment in that cult's life was the one day Jesus hopped on him. And he said, click your heels, boy. Amen, let's go for a ride. Amen, I've got a place I've got to be. And you're the vessel that's going to get me there. Oh, amen, I could preach a while right there. Amen, there's no greater joy in life than being a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. Than Him dealing with your heart in prayer and saying, boy, it's time to get to work. I've got a word that I'm going to speak to you. And when you get to the place, open up your mouth and begin to preach the gospel. There's no other accomplishment in life greater than being able to carry Jesus to the world. Whether it's in the pulpit and Bible way. Whether it's in, on death row in a prison. 
prison or whether it's on the foreign soil in another country, there is nothing greater in life than being the vessel that God chooses to share His Son with the world. Hallelujah. No greater joy in life than to be the one that God says, open up your mouth and preach. The defining moment in one's life is when they heed and answer the call of God. Nothing greater than that. The old statement rings true. If God has called you to be a preacher of the gospel, don't stoop to be a king. Don't stoop for prestige. Don't stoop for a temporal crown and a temporal scepter. But hang your heart and your affection on the crown that fadeth not away. Oh, hallelujah. Hang your heart on the eternal crown. Crown that's going to last throughout all of eternity. This cult was born for one purpose and one purpose only. It was its defining, distinguishing moment. Amen. But it was also the purpose of why he was born. Listen. You and I carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of why we were born. We were born to carry this gospel. We were born to share the gospel with the world. In Jeremiah chapter number 1, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Hallelujah. Before you were conceived, amen, God had a plan ordained for your life. Why is it that hell is trying to quench the life out of kids through abortion? Why is it that 70 million people, amen, 70 million lives that we know of since the institutionalization of Roe versus Wade, whose life has been stamped out by the means of abortion? Why is that? Brother Hanks told us it's population control. But number two, it's gospel control think that could be 70 million missionaries that's been aborted that could have been 70 million pastors that could have been 70 million prayer warriors that could have been 70 million Sunday school teachers worship leaders that hell stopped and snuffed out the light of the gospel in them before they could ever be born God told Jeremiah son before you were ever formed in the belly I knew you and before thou comest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee and ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations amen before he was ever thought of by his parents. God knew who Jeremiah was. And God knew that he was birthed for a reason and a purpose. Can I tell you, you and I are the Jeremiahs of our day. Before we were born, God knew about us. And before we were birthed and born, God has called us. Amen. Maybe not to be a pastor. Maybe not to be an evangelist. But he has called us to share the gospel. To go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. That's not optional. That's not debatable. That is the mandate of the church. You and I have been called and thrust out as laborers in the vineyard. Amen. For God to use for this purpose we were born. No greater joy than realizing our purpose in God. And listen to me folks. We must not fail in our mandate or in our mission. We must not fail. And then we must carry 
Many may try to restrict us. Many may try to delegitimize us. Many may mock us. But despite it all, the church must be loosed to share Jesus with the world. Listen, they may lock down churches. Canada, they're still on lockdown going on, I believe, 18 months. Many not been able to worship. Not been able to gather. Not been able to hold a corporate prayer meeting in Australia. They can't even leave their house but for a couple of hours a day. But you hear me, the gospel is not on lockdown. They may lock down the building. They may keep them from gathering. But they cannot stop and quench the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know what the future is going to hold for us. What's happening in Canada may filter its way down. Amen. And they may try to do a lockdown 2.0 on us. Listen, but I am not fearful and I am not afraid because they cannot shut down the gospel. If God be for us, then who can be against us? We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen. And if God has told us to share this gospel with the world, amen, there's not a devil-possessed politician birthed from hell big enough to stop the will of the Almighty God. The church will go on. The church will triumph. This Despite the darkness, we're the only one that has the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and His will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Got to hurry. Amen. It was a carrier of the gospel number four. It was a bringer of peace. Amen. Albert Barnes in his commentary said this, In biblical days, horses were very rare. When they were available, horses were used for war for the purpose of their speed. So when someone would have look out on the terrain from the city walls and they would see men coming around the city or close to the city with horses, most of the time they were coming for war. They were coming for blood. They were coming for what they could plunder and what they could spoil. But if they were to look out on the city wall and see a group of people with donkeys, then donkeys were known as bringers of peace because donkeys were used for transporting goods and for trade. And so when Jesus noticed when he was coming through Jerusalem that day, I know that Jesus said that he is in one passage that he has not come to bring peace but to bring a sword. But in this particular passage of Scripture, amen, as he was coming through the, the old city of Jerusalem, he was coming riding upon the colt, the foal of an ass or the foal of a donkey, which was referred to as the animal of peace. When Christ comes, notice the second time, he's riding a white horse. He's coming to execute judgment on the world. He's coming riding on an animal that's known as an animal of war. But when he come the first time, he came on a donkey. 
Amen. Come to bring peace uh, to the world. Uh, hallelujah. And can I tell you tonight, the only uh, real peace in this world uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the only real peace uh, that we have in this world, hallelujah, is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6, uh, For a child is born, uh, for unto us a son is given, the government shall be uh, upon his shoulders. Uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, uh, and the Prince of uh, of peace. Not only is Jesus the peace giver, he's the prince of peace. Hallelujah. He's the one that rules and governs peace. John 14 27, peace. I leave you my peace. I give unto you not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, Sister Becky. Neither let it be afraid. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of coronavirus, amen, you can have the peace of Almighty God. Amen. You can have the Prince of Peace despite the storm, despite the tribulation. Not only can you have peace, you can have the Prince of Peace. And you can have a peace that the world don't understand. And because the world didn't give it, honey, the world cannot take it away. The only real peace that I have, dear Lord, is in you. These things have I spoken unto you. That you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I remember preaching in Kenya. The last time I was there. I was preaching on Isaiah 9 verse 6. On the unchanging Christ. And I'm telling you God was moving in that place. But when I got to that point. The last point about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. I'm telling you, pandemonium broke out in that house. Just a wave of glory filled that place. And it's just a handful of times in my life that I've sensed the power of God so strong. God was doing a deep work that morning. And I, I talked to Brother Reuben afterwards. I said, man, I said, God moved. He said, yes, sir. He said, what you didn't know is that we've been fasting and praying as a church for the last six months for God to bring peace to our country. Here we have political seasons and you have bickering back and forth on Facebook. In Kenya, around political seasons, they have civil wars. Bullets fly. Bombs fly four years before that. I was in Kenya uh, preaching a pastor's conference. Al Shabaab blew up a bus station about eight blocks from my hotel. I was there by myself. You're talking about a scared white man. I was scared. If it was up to Brother Corey, I'd have been going back to the airport to change my ticket to come home. Man, I, I, I don't like bombs going off around me. I'm over there by myself. You might be more spiritual than I am. Amen. I'm like Brother Tolbert. He said he was in the Philippines preaching. And he said all of a sudden he heard gunfire in the distance. Tap, 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 tap. He said it started getting closer and closer. And uh, he said he made the uh, decision very quickly. He said if he was to die from gunshot wounds, it was going to be blunt force trauma to the elbows and back. Because he's running getting out of there. Amen. 
I, I, I tend to agree with a good doctor. Man. But that's how volatile it gets over there. But that morning, we preached on Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And I'm telling you, the peace of Almighty God settled down into that house. Amen. God began to move. God began to bless His people. People began to break and to weep and cry. People began to shout and dance and run and jump and holler. Amen. Pandemonium broke out in the house. And I can tell you, folks, the answer for Kenya in the middle of a volatile political situation is the same answer for the United States of America and the chaos that we experience in our government in our society today. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Amen. And if you want peace, honey, you need to look to Jesus. He's the only author of peace. He is the originator of peace. Every other accord that tries to bring about peace, amen, is a fabricator and an attempted duplicator. But you want peace, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Jesus. He is the everlasting Father. He is the mighty God. And He is the Prince of eternal peace. Amen. Closing with the last blinded to his surroundings. That, that cold as he was going through the city. Donkeys are colds are very easily agitated. They're territorial. Somebody invades that space. They're liable to get bit. Liable to get kicked. They can become very aggressive with just the smallest action. Can you imagine this cold going through the city? Palm branches waving. People throwing their coats in front of it. People hollering. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That colt had every opportunity to buck, to revolt, to revert back to his old nature, to kick. Amen. To, to, to do everything. To, to, he had the opportunity to ruin Jesus' parade. But with Christ on his back, that colt was blinded to his surroundings oblivious to what was going on around him. Amen. And he had uh, the one mandate. Uh, amen. To, to carry Jesus. Listen. Uh, amen. There are so many voices in this world at this present moment. Uh, amen. That's buying for our attention. That's hollering us. Uh, hollering at us. That's trying to startle us. Uh, you can't even watch. Uh, amen. The five o'clock or six o'clock news anymore uh, without being bombarded with propaganda. Amen. There's got to be a point in time where just like this cult, uh, we become blinded to our surroundings. Uh, we shut out the voices. We shut out the noise. We shut out the distractions and say, I'm not going to be deterred from my mandate. Jesus has commissioned me for service and I'm not going to let him down in that commission. I'm not going to be blinded by conspiracy theories. I'm not going to be duped. Amen. By amen. Government articles. Amen. On either side of the spectrum. Amen. I'm putting my head down and I'm carrying Jesus to the world. Amen. I'm going to fulfill my commission. And my mandate. Amen. We must be like Paul. Amen. To where he said, Brothers, I perceive to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul didn't care who the governor was. He didn't care who the president was. He didn't care who won the ball game. He only cared about this Christ and sharing Christ with the world. We must be the Apostle Pauls of our day, blinded to everything but Christ. Paul was blinded 
Everything but Christ was built on nothing but Jesus. This is where I want to hit home tonight. I'm closing. Give me five minutes and I'm done. But notice where the cult was. Notice the location of the cult. I've never seen this until the recent weeks. But Mark chapter number 11, verse 4. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met and they loosed him. The Bible says that he was centrally located in a place where two ways met. Now I know that we don't know the name of the streets. It might have been at the corner of Galilee and Jericho Road. We don't know. We don't know the name of the two streets that met where the colt was. We just know that he was tied by the door at a place where two ways met. But as the Lord began to deal with my heart about this scripture, the Lord began to talk to me and said, this is exactly where my church is. Tied, tethered at the place where two ways meet. The place where two ways meet. I began thinking, Lord, I began to think about flesh and spirit. I, I began to think about good and evil. I began to think about uh, the different places where two roads met, where the church is literally at a fork in the road. And she's got to decide which way she's going to go. Are you going to be given over to the spirit of holiness or the spirit of worldliness? Are you going to be given over to godliness or ungodliness? But the two specific ways that the Lord dealt with my heart about where the church is tethered tonight, tethered between the streets of opportunity and opposition. Between opportunity and opposition. Every day that you wake up, you're standing at this street. Opportunity to do something for God and opposition that's going to fight you every step of the way. Every breath that we breathe is an opportunity to do something great for God. And with every breath that we breathe, the devil, the world, family, friends are going to be given opposition to the will of God. And there's so many people that are tethered at the road where two streets meet, afraid to go one route or the other. And they spend their entire existence standing at the corner of a street where two roads meet. Never advancing, never retreating, never moving full force or full steam ahead. But they're too worried about the opposition that might come. That they miss the opportunities that God has. The church of the living God it's tied up to the same, at the same place in our spiritual journey tonight. Listen, I know there's great opposition. I know that 
What, what we're having to face, Kirsten, if you'll come help me, I'm done in this hour. The, 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 the opposition from government, the opposition from, uh, from hell itself is great. But can I tell you, beloved, the opportunity for God is greater. The opportunity to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God is far greater. Listen, there is going to be opposition. In this world, you shall have tribulation. In this world, you're going to be persecuted. In this world, you're going to be ridiculed. In this world, uh, you're going to be mocked. Uh, amen. But God's saying, get your eyes off of the opposition uh, and look at the opportunity. Uh, get your eyes uh, off of the opposing voices uh, and follow wholeheartedly after my voice. Uh, get your eyes, uh, amen, Peter, off of the waves uh, that's crashing uh, and look at the opportunity that I've given you, boy, uh, to walk on water. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, there's waves of opposition uh, that's surrounding us on every side. Amen. But if we've got Jesus in the boat with us, if we've got Jesus beside us, we can walk on the waves of opposition to meet the opportunity that Christ has for us. Yes, there's opposition, but yes, there's the opportunity for revival. Yes, there's opportunity for your children to be born again and saved. Yes, there's opportunity for your neighbors and your family to be delivered and set free. Yes, there's an opportunity for your marriage to be put back together stronger uh, than it ever was before. Uh, don't, uh, amen, go down the street, uh, amen, resistant opposition, uh, and don't live your life tied up uh, and tethered up, scared to make a move, uh, but embrace the opportunity uh, of the hour. Standing outside the door, tied where two streets meet. And Jesus looked at him and said, Loose him. Loose him and bring him to me. Listen, it's time for the church to be loosed. Oh, hallelujah. The church across America and the world has cowered down long enough and allowed itself to be tied and tethered. But Jesus is saying, Loose it tonight. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Loose it tonight. You've been bound in your worship. But God's saying, loose it tonight. You've been bound in your testimony. You've been bound in your witness. You've been bound in the circumstances and the tribulations of life. But Jesus is saying, loose it. Amen. This is a life-defining night. This is a life-defining time and season. Jesus entered into the equation and that cult went from zero to hero. That cult went from the outhouse of obscurity to the penthouse carrying the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. And then you and I, when Jesus is saying, loose us, let the church be loosed in this hour. Amen. We've been standing between tied up between opposition and opportunity for too long. Amen. This time. Amen. To do what this cult did. To be broken by Christ. To be the bringer of peace to the world. Amen. To fulfill our mandate of carrying Jesus to the world. Amen. That's the mandate. That's the call tonight. Amen. How many of you want to be the cult in this hour? I mean, how many of you want to be the carrier? 
and the messengers of Christ that He would have us be. Amen. If that's your desire, these altars are open tonight. Amen. Before you get out of your seat, you're at the, op- the corner of opposition and opportunity. But if you're coming down to this altar, forget about the opposition and embrace the opportunity. Amen. Embrace the opportunity and the chance. And God is going to meet you here. Hallelujah. God is going to do the work tonight that only He can do. And we can leave fulfilling. Amen. Our gospel mandate and mission. Join us in these altars tonight.